My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. This morning, I have the joy of opening up God's Word. We're finishing a, a two-part series on biblical hospitality. Uh, before we get into that, um, I want to tell you what's coming up over the upcoming weeks. Next week, we're starting a four-week series called Healthy Church, and we're going to be looking at a healthy church's mission their culture, their leaders, and their members. And uh, one of our desires is to um, encourage you. Um, many of you have friends and family all over the country, even the world, who are trying to figure out what are some of the core essentials you should look for in a church. What should you expect? Even a village, we have a long way to grow, and, and we also want to open up God's word and encourage us um, to really help this be a place where people can meet Jesus and be healed, and that we can pursue uh, really uh, to be a church that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to come back, Healthy Church, the next four weeks. Here's my, my question for you this morning. Have you ever felt like an outsider in a church? Uh, have you ever gone to a place and felt like you don't know what you're supposed to be wearing, where you're supposed to sit, uh, what you're supposed to do, how long the service is going to go, how long the preacher's going to preach. Um, have you ever gone into a place and just kind of been like, I don't know that I fit here, right? Um, some of you, actually, we have a baptism, and some of you are here for that baptism, and you've never walked through the doors of our church, and some of you are like, I really actually don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going on. One of your main questions is, are these people super weird? I totally get it. Now, uh, I want to talk about myself for a moment, um, because I'm a 10 out of 10 extrovert, okay? You could plot me down anywhere in any place, and I will find someone to be a friends with. In fact, um, there have been um, times where we've gone on vacation, we'll be in this small little city, I'll get up early, I'll go into the city, and I'll know like the store owners, and I'll tell people, I'll know people's stories, and then I'll bring my wife with me, and she's, I'm like, oh, this is Jim and Bob, and this is their story, and she's like, how do you know, you were literally gone for two hours, how do you know half of the city? Like, there's just a part of me, like every person is an unending possibility of intrigue and interest, right? I'm just the most curious person, and it adds to my extrovert, but, but, but. There's one place that I am not comfortable. There is one place that I almost never enjoy walking into at first. You know what that is? Any other church than this one. Any other church. Doesn't matter where it is. Like, I go, and I want to go when I'm not preaching here. Sometimes I'll go to my buddy's churches and whatnot. But every time I walk into the church, all of this anxiety wells up inside of me. And so I've actually been trying to figure out why this is. I, want to, I actually want to share a true story that happened to me in 2005 that actually has formed all of these subconscious emotions whenever I walk into a church. In 2005, I was getting my Master's of Divinity from Trinity, and I was taking what's called a correspondence course, and you go to a different location, sometimes a conference, and then you take um, classes about this conference, and you write papers, whatever. So I was going to this conference in Columbus, Ohio. It was a conference for a church, run by a church, keyword, for the church. It was all of the church people who went to this church at their own church conference, which is totally fine, but that's, I was walking into a church conference for this church. Uh, it was a unique church, though, because um, they do church a little bit differently. So here's what they do. They have teaching on a Sunday morning, no music, no nothing of the sorts, and they have um, a series of home churches all over Columbus, Ohio, and so they have elders in every church, and most of the care and everything happens in these home churches, but they have centralized teaching, etc. So I was going to this conference for this church, by this church, and I'm 25, and I'm pretty cheap, and so if I don't have to pay for a hotel, 
I'm not going to. Now, my wife is convinced that I'm going to be murdered if I sleep in my car. I think it'll be fine. So to date, I'm alive. Here we go. So I go to the conference. I'm 25, and I'm thinking, I'm probably just going to sleep in my car. But I needed a shower. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should find a place to sleep. So I go into this church, and within about 10 minutes, this guy comes up to me, and he says to me, um, do you need a place to stay tonight? And I was like, well, in fact, I do, and I don't know you, and you might kill me, but let's go to your house. So uh, he sat with me, and, and uh, after that uh, evening's events, uh, he took me to the house. And have you ever been on a secular college campus home where only disgusting men live, by the way? This was the most disgusting home I have ever seen, right? Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's uh, old moldy food everywhere. There's empty cans everywhere. This thing hasn't been swept. There's grime. The toilets are filled with, you know, I mean, just everything. Bad experience. So then he brings me into uh, an open room. And so his roommate was gone for two nights. So he said, I could sleep there for two nights. And so I go into this bedroom and there's just trash everywhere. He had not washed the guy's sheets. Like I'm sleeping in this guy's sheets, okay? So I, I am nervous. Worst night of sleep of my life. I'm sitting up in in bed, rewind, first grade, okay? Um, I am petrified of lice. I'm sleeping in Mike Addison's house, and I sit up all night long because I believe there was lice all over his pillow. So my, his mother had to call my mother to pick me up at 2 a.m. in the morning. This is like, this is throwback to that. I'm like, there's probably lice everywhere. Like, apparently, traumatic events impact me profoundly, and I don't realize it till later. So I sit up all night long, refuse to put my head on this guy's pillow, like, petrified of bacterial infections all over my body. The next day, right, um, I, uh, he, he takes me to the conference. And, and let me be straight. This guy was a really good host in his heart, right? He didn't have any of the skills, but I loved his heart. His heart was just like, my home is your home. And, and uh, I'd love for him to hear like last week's sermon on like how to actually be hospitable. But um, so... Uh, the, the next day, we go to the conference, it's all day long, and he says, hey, there's a party tonight, and it's a bunch of, of people from our home groups, and uh, I would love for you to come. And I'm like, yeah, party, awesome, I gotta be home and like preach the next day, but whatever, you know, like, let's do it. So I go um, to this party, and there's about, I don't know, it's about a 2,000 square foot ranch, maybe, and there's about 150 people at this party, all young people, like 18 to 24 years old, and let me just say, like, the booze is a-flowing, right? There's just a lot of liquor at this place. Now, nobody's drunk. Like, there's a, there, like, it's clear there's a biblical buzz happening everywhere, but, like, lots of alcohol. I tell you this for a reason. This is relevant, okay? So I end up sitting down with this guy, and then there's this older man. He's the only guy who's, like, 40 and above. And me and him, we just start talking theology, and, and he's just taking on beer, psh, beer, psh, Calvinism, Arminianism. We're just talking, like, this is a blast, right? And I'm just watching him, and you know that moment when someone Someone's done with you? They're just like, yeah, I'm done. And so he gets up and he walks about five feet in front of him and he just pees in the bushes. And I'm like, what is happening? Then he walks away, not even a bye, he's gone. So I look at my friend and I say, who is this guy? And he says to me, that's the pastor of our church. And I'm like, we are so weird. Like, Christians are some of the weirdest people on the planet. If I was not a Christian and a pastor, that would, like, like ruin my entire view of Christians forever. 
And what I realized is like, actually these events impacted me profoundly because I'm wondering what kind of Looney Tunes am I gonna experience when I walk to the doors of a church? There, again, there are a handful of people you have never been to church before or this church, and you wanna know when you walk in the doors, like what kind of people are they? And you have no idea. It takes an incredible amount of courage for people to walk through the doors of a church, let alone to stick it out, stay through an entire service, and then to take their kids with a bunch of strangers and put them in a, a village kids ministry with a bunch of people that they, that they don't know. I want, to, I want to read to you a passage from Leviticus 19, and uh, we're going to get some um, inspiration from the Israelites. When God put together the nation of Israel, he wanted them to be incredibly kind to the stranger, to the alien, to the immigrant, to the visitor, to the foreigner. And here's what Leviticus 19.33 says. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know exactly what it feels like to be a stranger, to be an alien, to be out of your element. And they oppressed you and treated you like dirt. When foreigners, when people who are unbelievers come through the nation of Israel, may it never be said that they were treated as anything but family in our context. May, may we be a nation of hospitality to the nation so that people might see the truth of who God really is and glorify him. I want to set up some context because last week we talked about um, biblical hospitality in your homes and in your personal life, and today we're going to talk about biblical hospitality in our church, what this means and looks like. Uh, last week I shared with you the three primary growth engines of the church throughout the last couple thousand years of church history. Um, what we saw is that when the church is the cultural majority, the church typically grows primarily through evangelism. This is proclamation. This is communicating whether one-on-one -on -one or in a crusade or in a conference, the propositions of the gospel. You are a sinner. Um, your sin has separated you from God. God has loved you so much. He gave Jesus as a substitute sacrifice for your sins. God raised him from the dead. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Today, you can trust in him. In fact, many of you in this room, you came to faith in Jesus Christ because somebody shared with you the propositional gospel. And when the church is the cultural majority, the church can do this and people statistically respond. We talked about number three, when the church is the persecuted minority, um, what happens is that the church is typically martyred. And what people don't realize is that when you kill a bunch of Christians, their faith explodes and people come to faith in droves. The blood of the martyrs truly does point people to the blood of Jesus Christ and people get saved left and right. All over the world where people are killed for the sake of Jesus, Christianity explodes. But number two, what we saw is that we are now in a cultural transition from number one being the cultural majority to number two being the culture, cultural minority. Now, this change is happening in different parts of America. It's happened already fully. If you go to Seattle, if you go to Portland, if you go to San Francisco, New York City, this transition has happened. Uh, in parts of rural America and Midwestern America and different sections, it's a little bit slower, but this is the inevitable direction. And what we saw last week is this that 12 guys and a couple girls 
um, somehow transformed the Roman Empire in 250 years to the point where it became the numerical majority to the point where Constantine had to legitimately make Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire because there were so many Christians. And do you know what happened? Hospitality. One person at a time. One meal at a time. One conversation at a time. Open home after open home after open home and the gospel message when the people of God are the minority explodes when we open up our home and we treat people as human beings and we love them without condition. So what is biblical hospitality? We talked about this comes from the Greek word philoxenia. Philo is a, a Greek word for love, affection, kindness, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Xenos is a word for stranger. It can mean a stranger or a guest or somebody who's in your proximity that isn't at home. They're out of their element, if you will. And biblical hospitality is really the act of providing a stranger or a guest with the experience of home wherever you are at. Now in the West, that's where we live, uh, church has become a club, a movement, or an organization. By the way, this is, this is not God's intention. In the Bible, church is a family. And th this is huge because if the church is a club, hospitality really doesn't mean anything. If the church is a movement or an organization, hospitality doesn't mean anything. But if, but if we are a family, and if our job in this church home is to be hospitable, it changes everything. Uh, the way you identify with a club, the way you identify with an organization, the way you identify with a movement is very different. But if we're a family, that changes the way we do everything. It changes the way we see guests. Because when someone comes into your home, right, uh, do you not want to go out of your way to make sure that their experience is as helpful as humanly possible? Absolutely. And when you understand that what we do here is we are a family, we're not just a movement, we're not a club, we're not an organization. This is something more deep, more beautiful than that. In the West, we go to church to consume, and this is just normal. Um, the vast majority of people who come to church um, munch, munch, munch on the sermon, munch, munch, munch on the, on the worship, on the food literally out there, which is great, it's for you, right? But God has created the church and the Bible to be something very different. It's supposed to be a place we go to to commune to commune first with God, to worship him and to experience him. Number two, with believers in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna see this in a bit. Number three, even with the strangers who walk through our doors. That part of your experience in corporate worship is a sensitivity that there are outsiders, there are xenos, there are, there are strangers in our midst and they're welcome here, and our job is to open up our lives and our hearts to them. So what I wanna do is I wanna talk about four different kinds of guests that we're gonna have at Village Church, and uh, if you open up your notes with me, point number one is the digital guest. This is uh, the person who uh, enters um, into our sphere, either through our social media, or through our website, and at this time, I need a favor. I need somebody who will come up here and who can ask me a couple questions. I see Davey um, over in the back. Davey uh, Torres is putting his head down, like, please, not me again. Davey doesn't know I'm going to do this, by the way, um, but Davey, you did it last time, and you were so, so helpful that I want to invite you, I want to invite you up here, Davey, you're, you're one of my favorite human beings. Um, now, Davey, uh, I, I could ask anything of Davey, Davey and I go way, way back, I was Davey's youth pastor, as I told you last time, he came up when he was in 12th grade. All right, Davey, I'm going to ask you a favor, number one, would you take this microphone? I love you. Um, number two, I have a set of questions that I would like you to ask me. You can sit, you can stand, man, whatever makes you more comfortable. Should be ready to go. Here you go. Now, before you ask me those questions, I need to tell you who you are, and I need to tell you who I am. 
Um, you represent right now um, the person who is navigating our digital platforms, websites, social media, and you are called interested attender. Uh, he's heard about Village Church, but of course he has to go to our digital mediums to figure out whether or not we are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's his job. Now, I, my name is Church Website. I represent church websites all over the world. Now, what Davey has in his hand are four of the most common questions that people have for a church that they want answered um, most often before they walk through the doors of a church. Now, whether or not they have the guts to answer them or not, that's a different question. So Davey, um, what is your first question for church website? Oh, great question. I'm not gonna answer it until you click six times. Next question. Well, I am uh, new to religion. What do you guys actually believe? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. We are a five-point Calvinistic, moderately complementarian church. We also have a focus and expository preaching. You're gonna love, by the way, our pastor's exegesis, his hermeneutical approach, and his eschatology. He doesn't eisegete like those you know, other people in other churches. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, clear enough? Awesome, good, wonderful. <laughs> Next question. Are you weird? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's clear by how clearly I answered the last question that no, we're not. Oh, please, continue. What is your pastor like? Our pastor, he's not a god, but it's like he is. Like when you go to our website, <laughs> He'll be the first thing you see, and there's this video from him. Like, I know, I, okay, so maybe we talk about him more than we do Jesus, but Jesus really is the most important thing. But really, on the website, we just want you to know him. So, like, like you should probably listen to all of his sermons. Awesome. All right, you're done. So, thank you. Now, here's what I wanted you to do, okay? You can just, you can take, you can keep that. That's actually my gift to you. It's going to be worth a lot of money. I signed it for you so that you would have a memento of this, of this moment. You can find it worth a lot of money, right? So, one of the reasons I had David come up is because I, I want you to understand how most people interact with our digital media. And, and here's the reality. That is the experience that so many people have with church. And the vast majority of people, before they ever walk through the doors of our church, are gonna go to our website, and they're gonna go to our social media, and they are gonna see what kind of church we are. And I wanna share with you some statistics. Um, nearly half, 46% of people say that a website's design is their number one criterion for determining the credibility of an organization. Let me, let me tell you that. Half of the people who go to any website will determine whether or not you are credible, let alone will go to your place simply by how the website looks. I'm going to be honest, I'm super judgy. When I go to websites, like, I immediately determine whether or not, like, what I think. I mean, anybody else like that? Three of you, good. We got an honest person, Jeff. Thank you. Ninety-four um, percent of people. This is that's like six percent under a hundred. If you do the math, this is almost a lot of people. Ninety-four percent of people cited poor web design as the reason they mistrusted or rejected a website. So like, here's what that means: if somebody comes to our website and the design is poor, they automatically do not trust us. Here's what's interesting: it also applies to design in churches and how things are structured. That we are such a visually oriented culture that we will internally dis trust or mistrust sheerly on the design of something. Here, here's another. On average, the church, a church's homepage has 10 seconds to make an impression, and ever changing that impression is one of the most difficult things that you can do. 
Now, if you ever wonder why we hire a communications manager, this is the reason, because what we do not want to do is put any unnecessary stumbling block between somebody who is searching for God and walking through the doors of our church. Almost every single human being alive will visit us online before they walk through the doors of our church. I want to show you this passage, scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. Paul says this, I have become all things to all people that by all means that by all means. When the vast majority of Americans are on social media in the digital realm, it would be one of the most foolish things for us to not hyper-emphasize and hyper-focus on this platform. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I love this. That I may share with them. That I may share with them in its blessings. You know what's interesting? He's writing about people that he's never met. But, But here's what he knows. They're out there And whatever means he can use to build a bridge between them and the gospel, he's going to build this. Two so what's, number one, help us. If you you go online and it's not easy for you to get what you need or what you want, would you tell us? I mean, don't be a jerk, right? Don't be like, I got 35 things that are wrong and you're a moron. Like, that's not helpful, okay? But truly, like, if if one of your friends comes to our website and they can't find what they want and you hear about it, let us know. I don't care who you are, no website's ever gonna be perfect. It's always a work in progress. And we, we change ours about every two years from the ground up just so that we can make it more clear, more helpful, get a fresher perspective. Why? Because every week we could have one, two, five, or 10 families visit Village Church. And every one of those families, by and large, are walking through our digital front door before they walk through that front door. Now here's another um, so what for you. Um, y- many of you see that we do a lot of stuff on Facebook and on Instagram. And one of the best things actually you can do is if you're on those mediums is to engage because what people are doing more and more is they're watching the comments and the interaction of the church before they go to discern what kind of people this really is. Here's a little um, tidbit for you. Um, When you go on reviews like at Google and you give your church a one-star review, that's dumb. That's like owning a business and then giving yourself a one-star review because your design stunk, okay? Don't do that. Like really think about this as your family. Like would you ever go online if there were like family reviews? God forbid that would ever happen. There's the fueling family, three and a half stars, right? Would you ever give your family a one-star rating? No, you deal with your stuff internally. Know that you have a receptive audience. We may disagree on some stuff, and that's cool. They're not sin issues, but what we're trying to do is build as many bridges for people so that there's the least amount of, we'll say, upsetting or or, or frustration or difficulty for them to get through our doors. Number two, our Sunday guest, Village Church. I cannot over-communicate how many people have been profoundly wounded because of their experience, especially as a visitor in a church. Here's what I need you to assume. I need you to assume that every single person who walks through that door is number one, infinitely valuable to God, and number two, plausibly has had some really terrible experiences in church that make them very, very apprehensive to walk through these doors. E- even if you're just coming today because uh, um, Scott's being baptized, like your family and friends, even, even that is still for many people a nerve-wracking experience. Uh, one, of the, one of the persons I want to give the most honor to on any Sunday morning is the visitor because it didn't take any courage for most of you to walk through these doors, but it took them an incredible amount of courage to walk through the doors. I want to make this clear. Church hospitality, it's not about church growth. It is about representing God. It is about being kind. It is about bringing healing to many people who are broken. It's about being human. 
It's about treating people with dignity and understanding that what we do here, because of many, many places that have made church very difficult, that what we have to do is overcome so many hurdles that are already being brought to the table when they walk through the doors. Uh, One of my favorite passages that has actually informed so much of how I think about church comes from 1 Corinthians 14. I need to set this up, and I'll share with you kind of my perspective. And and, uh, as I share with you my perspective, I want to just tell you, feel free to disagree. I love you. This is not a deal breaker. This is kind of just Michael saying where he's at on maybe a semi-controversial, really not that important issue in scripture. So the context here is spiritual gifts, specifically the gift of speaking in tongues. And so uh, speaking in tongues is, is never defined in the Bible, but there is one example in the book of Acts where it is described. And the example when it's described goes like this. Peter is preaching the gospel, the apostles are preaching, uh, they're preaching in their own language, and then people from different countries hear his words in their own heart language. And that is what the book of Acts would at least call speaking in tongues. And so many of you know speaking in tongues because it's known as a personal, private prayer language you don't always necessarily knowing what you're saying. Uh, You go back to the first century, and it seems that the early apostolic understanding of tongues is you uh, evangelistically proclaim the gospel and that God uh, bridges the the language barrier, um, allowing them to hear the gospel in their own language. Totally supernatural, totally amazing, absolutely a miracle. Awesome. Um, So here's what happens, Um, especially in, we'll say, the period of the first century, second century BC and first century AD when this is all written. Uh, it was very common for pagan religions to have their people be overtaken by the spirits and the gods and they would speak in these languages that they don't know. And it seems to me that Paul is dealing with some kind of syncretism in the early church between them wanting to do good things and bringing some of the residue uh, of their pagan religions into the church. So here's what he says. Uh, If, therefore, the whole church comes together, the church is gathering similar to this, except they would be in homes, and, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? Just imagine, you walk into a room, there's 50 people, and they're all speaking in a language they don't even personally understand. What are you gonna think about these people? They're crazy, they're Looney Tunes, they're nuts. Like, are you going to listen to the preacher when he gets up and proclaims the word of God? No, you're going to think they're crazy. And this is his concern. Paul has a very serious concern that when the people of God gather, that it should be orderly and in such a way that when an unbeliever or an outsider walks in, he shouldn't look at us and be like, these people are crazy. They shouldn't have to leave and tell stories about the pastor. Like, that's not what should be happening here. Well, it goes on in verse 20, 24. But if all prophesy... Uh, let me just break down the simplest meaning of prophecy is to speak forth God's word. So in a sense, when I'm speaking forth God's word, this is one aspect of prophecy. In the first century, there was a word that God would give to somebody because the, so they didn't have all the scriptures, obviously, because they're literally being written every time Paul writes a letter or Luke writes a letter. And so, um, but, but here, right, the idea is that people are speaking forth God's word. So here's what he says. If everybody is actually speaking forth God's word and an unbeliever or outsider enters, then, this is what God's word does, he's convicted by all and he's called to account by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let me ask you your preference. Would you rather somebody think you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs or would you rather them fall on their face and worship God and repent of their sin? 
that, that what you do and how you do it and what we do and how we interact with people actually legitimately matters. And Paul's concern is that the way the church behaves actually will be a stumbling block for people meeting Jesus Christ. So if some of you are super weird, I might actually have a conversation and be like, that's weird, stop it. Like, that's not good for people. You corner somebody who's brand new after a church service, I've had some conversations where I'm like, straight up, like, stop. Like, like you, I will teach you social cues, okay? But don't do that. That's not normal. That's, that's, that's a stumbling block. Um, but this is part of what it means, actually, as leaders to protect the church, is to really ensure that, culturally speaking, we don't conform, but we also don't communicate an unnecessary amount of of weirdness. I want to talk practically at Village Church. Um, our first impressions team are some of my favorite, favorite people. Um, our ushers and greeters um, personally interact and care for people, show them around, help them find what they need. That's the goal. Like It's really, really important to me personally um, that these men and these women love, love our guests, our visitors um, really, really well. Coffee bar, because who doesn't want to be drugged up before they come hear God's word? Of course. Um, hospitality and ministry, you, like, you may not know this, um, but there are a group of 30, 40 plus men and women, mostly women, that make and buy food every single Sunday because food is so helpful. F- food gives us something to do with our hands, does it not? So it's a little less awkward. Um, but also food is one of these amazing things that you don't know who's walking through these doors. There have been times when I've gone back there and I will see women who don't have any food stuffing as much food and egg bites and donuts into their purse as they can. Is that weird? Maybe. I don't but I don't know their story. Like the fact that we even have an opportunity for them to come and eat. There are some people who they bring their kids here and they don't have a lot of money and they feed their kids on Sunday morning. Praise God. Like if we have the opportunity to just be hospitable and to show that, like you may just make food or buy food and bring it here. And I want to tell you, um, that is actually one of the most beautiful things. And you're creating culture. You're creating opportunities to actually serve people and minister to where they are. And one of the last things on the Sunday morning part that I want to share with you, I actually think this could be really helpful for some of you and might actually help you be less frustrated with myself and our pastors. Um, One of the things that we tell regular attendees and members is that our staff have a unique role on Sunday mornings. And especially, especially the person who's up front. So Matt Young, our worship pastor, he's up front, myself preaching. If you're up front, we, on that particular morning, um, my primary concern is not to minister to um, our members, our attendees, and those that I know really well. The vast majority of you, you have my cell phone in your phone. You have my email. You've been to my house. You can show up at my door anytime and come and hang out. It doesn't matter. Like, inconvenience us. Like, we welcome that. Like, you know me. You have me for six and a half days of the week. And if you don't have my number, call the office, and they'll give it to you. Unless you're super weird, then they're going to say, he'll call you, right? But that's, you know. But even then, as soon as I call you, you're going to have my cell phone number. So there we go. Um, but my point is, you have us for six and a half days of the week. And so three of the most precious times for me that I set aside, it's before the worship service, the 9 a.m., between the 9 and 11 service and after the 11 o'clock service. And so what you'll find, I'll be talking to you, and then I'll, I'll just leave. And I've told you guys this. Like, I'm like, Ugh. and if I leave just on a dime, just know that I trust you and love you and respect you enough to know that I can just walk away and say, I, mean, I try to be nice and say, oh, there's, there's somebody new. I'd love to go meet them. But what other, what other platform in the world, in a small room, does a guy get to stand up and talk at somebody for 30, 40, or 50 minutes, and then they never actually meet them? Most people don't, they will not come up and speak to the person up front. Like, that is a very, very scary thing. 
And I think one of the best things that we as staff can do is humanize ourselves. I'm just a dude. I'm your brother before I'm some spiritual leader. And, uh, and, and just to humanize the whole process and to help you meet somebody. Many of you, when you came to Village Church, our staff, our leaders cared really well for you. And that's because the other members and attenders, they had us for six and a half days of the week. But, but they allowed us to really minister and serve, serve you. But here's what I want to challenge you with. That doesn't just apply to the paid people. This applies to us. Be, be on the lookout. Who is God brought by your path? Who maybe, maybe is an introvert and uncomfortable and hurt and whatever, and they might just need someone else to walk up to them and to be kind to them and to show some hospitality. The last two are a little bit quicker. Um, I want to talk about the missionary. Did you know that there's an entire book of the Bible devoted to caring for missionaries? Now, granted, it's one chapter. <laughs> it's the book of 3 John, so you can open up with me to 3 John or look on the screen. And 3 uh, John is, is written um, from the Apostle John to one of his churches, and here's what he says in verse 5. Beloved, it's a, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers, xenos as they are. These are people who give their life to to bring the gospel to faraway places. And they're coming through town and the church has opened up their life and their home to them. Who testified your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Brad, he's preached up here, and, and uh, some of you know him. He's got seven little kids. I believe the oldest is maybe 11. They're all, all younger than that. Uh, one of the things I love about Brad is uh, Brad is determined to go as a missionary to the places where nobody else will go. And so Brad committed uh, himself to go to Siberia because there is a very, very, very nomadic tribe that has no knowledge of Jesus. And so he said, all right, I'll take my wife and my seven little kids to the middle of Siberia where it's like 50 below like half of the year. Um, but this is Brad. Brad's like, I've got one life. There's people who don't know Jesus. And, and so the Lord moved him. And now, now instead of going that direction, he moved him right across over to Alaska. And he's going to be in this little, little village that you can only get to by airplane. And it's really far away. But these people don't know Jesus. So he's bringing his seven kids. And they're, built, they're, they're renovating a, a one-room cabin to live in. Why? Well, because these people don't have the gospel. <laughs> it's in his brain. It's that, it's that simple. And, and, and I love that heart and that spirit of people who are willing to go and do whatever it takes. Verse 7, here's what it says. They have gone out for the sake of the name. That's the name of Jesus. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Uh, as a group of leaders at Village Church, one of the things that we have commented on and realized, one of the things that probably makes us really sad is the lack of passion and appreciation amongst 20s, 30s, and 40s for missionaries. The lack of support and appreciation for the sacrifice and the life calling that people are willing to make, the amount of money that they set aside simply to give the best years of their life to go to a foreign place in a different land and a different culture to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is why uh, we have of, um, a new global outreach director. His name is Jeffrey Antioho. And, and uh, one of the things we love doing is with our kids through Awana is, is building up our missionaries and helping them understand how precious and faithful these people are and that our desire and opportunity is to partner with them by caring for them when they're here, supporting them while they're gone, and praying for them. And, and so very excited about that. Number four, I want to talk about finally the least. 
Um, John and Shelley Shales, John's one of our, our elders here, about a, a month ago he got up in front of the church and shared with you about our orphan care ministry. And um, uh, he uh, and Shelley have, uh, they just love the Lord and love the least. And so one of the opportunities we have here is, is to um, build bridges for those of you who are interested in adoption or foster care. Um, one of my favorite things we do as a church is Safe Families. And Safe Families is an organization that gets kids before they go into the foster care system. And so what it does is it mobilizes churches so that we take the kids into our homes. We have a relationship with the parents. Sometimes it's for one night or two nights, sometimes it's for a couple months, um, but we get the kids out of the foster care system, and then the church surrounds these kids with an, with an incredible amount of love. And I think over the last couple years, here's some of the latest stats for Village Church. We have um, just seven volunteers in the church who are doing this, supported six families, 16 kids have spent time in our church for a total of 227 nights that these kids have, kept, have been kept safe from whatever's been going on in their personal life. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we're capable of as a church. I'm really excited about this ministry and I'm excited for the next couple years as God opens up doors and opportunities and we realize as a church, we have homes and resources and excess and right at our fingertips are incredible opportunities to care, to care for the least. I, I wanna read, before we get to the so what's, uh, Matthew 25 and... Uh, I haven't put it on the screen, so just listen, listen carefully. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then, then he will sit on, on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is what churches do. So what? Number one. Commune sincerely with God. I think one of the most hospitable things we can do is to be fully ourselves. We are worshipers of God saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when we come into this place, we worship. It's actually one of the best things that you can do is to be who you are especially as people come into your home. There's no reason to fake and act like something you're not. Hospitality is not ignoring the things that are most important to you. It's actually part of being who you fully are. Number two, commune sincerely with God's people. I know it's tempting to leave right away. I understand we have stuff going on sometimes, but by and large, we have an amazing privilege to be to be with each other. Now, some of you, um, unlike me, you are extreme introverts. So my encouragement is find other extreme introverts and commune with them, right? And just have one-on-one, -on -one very private, meaningful conversations. That's awesome. And I appreciate those of you who, who do that regularly. Number three, rethink your community groups. 
This is, this is, we say at Village Church, the second most important thing we do. The first is gathering on Sunday mornings. The second is community groups. Everything in our church is second place to these two things. This is where love and care and shepherding happen in our church. It's just the most important thing. And, and, and if you really, really, really want to experience the full depth of Village Church, this is probably where most of it ideally is going, is going to happen. But one of the things I want to encourage you with is actually engage, and especially engage when somebody new comes. Um, because any group that you're part of feels like, a, feels like home to you. You're used to it. It's easy. But one of the privileges that we have is to open up our communities and our groups to people and make them feel like they're at home. Number four, I want to challenge you to rethink serving. Um, I think in some people's minds, first impressions, greeters, ushers, etc., is like second place to like teaching or something. And I want to tell you that uh, one of the most important frontline ministries that we have is to care for people who are hurting, who walk through the doors of our church. And your affect and your kindness and your care and your helpfulness go such a long way to really helping people build a bridge between where they're at spiritually in Jesus Christ. Finally, number five, open your eyes and see who's right in front of you. Maybe even right now, literally, like who is right in front of you? Uh, to make this point, I want to I tell you a story, and then we'll close. This week, I saved a child's life from certain death, which is not an overstatement. I want to tell you the story. So rewind to the month of January, and um, a buddy of mine calls me up, and he asked me to do a podcast for him for 11.60 a.m., and he wanted to interview um, me about Village Church. What's God's doing? I'm like, ah, I'd love to talk about what God's doing. So we get done with the interview. He gives me a gift, and the gift is a free overnight stay at Lake Geneva Youth Camp. By the way, who also um, from Village Church is at Lake Geneva Youth Camp serving for the summer? Mike and Mel Boyle, former elder here, mentor of mine, um, beloved by our church. We just prayed for them about a month ago and sent them off. And so about two weeks ago or so, maybe three, it's not long ago, we, uh, my wife and I finally nailed down a date and we went to Lake Geneva Youth Camp. And so um, we spent the night there and then we woke up and we spent some time with Mike and Mel and Mike, Mike was telling us about how um, their staff ride their bike around Lake Geneva. And Brianne, my wife, says, oh, Michael loves to ride his bike. Michael, you should go ride your bike around Lake Geneva. I know you go ride your bike one or two times a week. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. It's about 20 miles. And so just bring you into like my bike riding, whatever. I'm not the best in the world, but I can ride about 30 miles in about two and a half hours, okay, if I'm really kind of pushing it, okay? And so this is a 20-mile ride. I should be able to do this in, in two hours, easy. I ride up there, and uh, you know Lake Geneva, they have um, uh, parking meters, and you have to like go on your app and whatever. I've done this 50 times, never had a problem. 45 minutes, this stupid parking meter will not let me do it. It's like decline, decline, wrong card, wrong number, everything that could possibly happen. I walked away from it for 10 minutes and came back. Finally, I got it right. Uh, I'm going on this ride and it is excruciating. I don't know why. Like this is not, the first 10 miles was not that hard. I'm exhausted. I'm stopping. I had to take a 45 minute break just to like catch myself. I'm starving even though I'm on five shots of espresso and I have enough food. Like I should be all, all go, right? So then uh, I'm like, okay, I got a 10 mile stretch and it's up and then it's down and it's up and it's down, which typically wouldn't be a problem. But I got to a point where at every up, I had to stop for like a minute, gather myself and then go down and then get up and then just stop. And I'm like, what is happening in my body? This trip took me just under four hours. That's, that's ridiculous. Like, and I didn't have the time. I needed to get back. My, my parking meter is expiring. Like everything's wrong, right? 
So uh, in the middle of this, my wife calls me. We have like a half hour conversation. I'm like, I don't, I don't have time for this, but she needs it. So everything was stalling. So you get to the last like two miles, mile and a half of this stretch. And on one side, on my right, is Lake Geneva Youth Camp. And across the street is a beach. And it's about, I would say, about a half mile drive. And the, the distance between these cars and the beach is like seven feet, okay? So I'm riding down, and about 10 feet in front of me, this ball flies out into the road. Car's going about 40 miles an hour, car doesn't see the ball. And as I'm riding my bike, this four-year-old, maybe three, maybe five, but four-year-old kid, little boy, runs out. And I slam on my brakes, and my bike literally stops right dead center in front of where this kid is at. Car goes by. Dad looks at me and says, thank you. I said, no problem. And I kept driving, riding. And in that moment, I was like, I saved that kid's life. I'm a hero. (laughs) But it hit me. It hit me. I don't know who that kid is. I don't know his name. Maybe he's a future Billy Graham. Maybe he's a future president. I have no idea. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, who is that kid? Here's what I know. You go back in time to January, and God put in motion a series of events uh, you, you, you set it all the way up to the point where Mike Boyle is now in Lake Geneva. The week we're there, my wife implants this idea into my head, and God has been orchestrating this for months. We get to this bike ride, and God's like, no, I'm going to postpone you for 45 minutes. Mm, that wasn't enough time. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make this a physical, miserable ride for you. Uh, I'm going to have my wife call you and talk to you about something that's going on. Like, everything slowed this day down. But if I was one second sooner, the kid would have gotten hit. One second earlier that kid would have been dead. And in that moment, at that very, very specific second, that kid's life was saved. Here's what this means. I I don't know what it took for God to get somebody through the doors of this church, to get them seated right next to you. Uh, I don't know why you're a greeter and you're looking at them and you've never seen them before, but here's what I know. God is always, 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 always up to something. And you have no idea what he's orchestrating. You have no idea what that person is going through. You have no idea how ready they might be or not be to see and meet Jesus Christ. You you have no idea. One of the things I love about biblical hospitality is biblical hospitality is less about going and it's more about being available to whatever the Lord puts in front of you to meet the needs, whether it's physical, spiritual, relational, communal, whatever it might be, of whatever circumstance God brings up in front of you. And it's interesting, I look back and I did nothing. I literally did instinctively what I should do. I slammed on my brakes. That's it. There's nothing heroic, nothing amazing. But I was just reminded, God is always orchestrating. And he is bringing people through our doors and through our digital front doors and through our social media doors. And we have the privilege to care well for them. And God willing, bring healing to a whole bunch of people who are genuinely really hurt by church. Let's pray together. Father, It's, it's my sincere desire that Village Church would be a place of healing and not hurting. Lord, all of us, because of our sin and our um, insufficiencies, we, do, we just have a great capacity to be very hurtful to people. But God, I pray that you would continue to make Village Church a place that is more and more healthy, more and more healing. We just confess to you that we need, we need you to continue to transform us to help us because we are so broken and we are so incapable. You were, you were just so good to us. God, I pray that you would 
motivate um, those who maybe need to take a different perspective on what it means to be a hospitable church, maybe what it means to be hospitable in their, in their own homes. But God, I pray that we would truly be known, especially in this next generation, as we increasingly become the cultural minority that our church and our homes and our lives would be open up to whatever experiences and people you would bring in, that we could care for them and love for them. Although that is our desire, would you give us more opportunity to do that and to do it well in the name of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Ville Church. Amen.